wanted to talk about things that I was going through growing up that, you know, I felt so alone in the world and so alone in these experiences because nobody else was talking about them, but they're experiences that will affect every single person in the world. That's Nadia Marie, writer and presenter of season four of Dear Young Rocker. It's an audio memoir series about girlhood, music, and growing up in the early days of social media. Presented as letters to a younger self, Dear Young Rocker explores how you became the person that you are today and what kinds of people you might have needed back then. Here, Nadia Marie is talking about two things that are pretty difficult for most people to face. You'll find out what they are in a few minutes, but I'll tell you now, we'll start with the letter D. More importantly, what she's getting at is a widely accepted incongruence, that there are commonalities in the human experience, but we don't talk about them. And that some of these experiences put such heft on our existence that it seems absurd to avoid talking about them, as though avoiding them lightens the load somehow. We all will experience those two things at some point. And so I think it's important to kind of be open and talk about those things. This is Metapod, where we unpack the web's most interesting podcasts and the stories behind them. Hi, my name is Nadia Marie from Dear Young Rocker, and I'm this week's guest on Metapod. Dear Young Rocker is a scripted nonfiction audio memoir. Season four of Dear Young Rocker features me, Nadia Marie, It's a coming-of-age story about overcoming different circumstances in life, feeling loneliness and feeling different from everyone else around you, and using music to find your place in the world. How music can become your safest space that helps you navigate the world around you and ultimately get you through it. Nadia Marie, welcome and thanks for joining me on Metapod to talk about Dear Young Rocker. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So you've just shared an incredible personal story over 12 episodes, I think, with listeners far and wide. How do you feel? How are you feeling right now having finished it? Yeah, I feel incredible. It's been such an honor to share my story and Um, It was a huge undertaking, and I'm just so proud of it. So feeling very honored. (laughs) Yeah, great. You should be. Are you ready to write the Dear Old Rocker series? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I can't can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) So you've done a lot of work, a lot of great work, and I really enjoy listening to your story. And I've seen that you've received some very good feedback already. Um, What has the feedback been like? The feedback has been incredible. The day before launch, I was really scared that nobody would listen to it. And I just, you know, wasn't sure what the response would be, if people would even like it. And I've gotten, you know, letters and emails from people all over the world, which has been so moving and inspiring and I just appreciate it so much yeah people telling me that it helped them get through a depressive episode people telling me that 
you know, it's the first thing they turn on when they wake up or some the last thing they listen to when they go to sleep. And it's just really beautiful to engage with people and in their life and kind of be a part of something that's taking place around the world and feeling connected through other people through the show. So I, it's beautiful. Yeah, I just can't express how incredible it's been. In some ways, I imagine it's almost a second part of a podcast project, especially with such a deeply personal story where you probably are having to receive a lot of feedback from people. Were you prepared for that when you started, do you think? I definitely wasn't prepared to get emails from strangers around the world. Okay. Um, (laughs) I expected, you know, maybe a couple of things here and there, but the kind of volume at which it's meaning to to people has been, um, I've just been taken aback by it and that it's been really moving and beautiful and I couldn't have even imagined it would have a response like this. So it's, it's been incredible. Yeah. I mean, you imagine nobody would want to listen. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite different. Um, yeah, I guess that's not a good opening, but, um, you know, I think one thing, if somebody asks you to write about your life, you, you know, while you're writing it, you can't necessarily be thinking, oh my God, every single person I know and every person in the world. And, you know, you're not really thinking about that. You're just kind of like, okay, I need to focus on making it and making the work. So to kind of be so hyper-focused and, you know, you can't stress about thinking about who's going to read it and you just have to make it. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of put that, those thoughts on the back burner and then have the show launch and then it kind of comes into view was a little bit, um, I wouldn't say jarring, but just moving, you know? Mm -hmm. Can you tell listeners a bit about the Dear Young Rocker show more broadly and then maybe give some context about where your season and story fits into the, the broader show? Yeah, so Dear Young Rocker is a um, scripted nonfiction audio memoir created by Chelsea Erson. The show is about writing letters to your younger self and what you would want to know as a young girl going through the early 2000s in music. Um, so it's a show about music and it's a coming of age story and it's about girlhood and what that feels like. For my season in particular, I wanted to create something that felt like my girlhood and felt like what it was like to be a girl, um, you know, in the early 2000s. And so the style of writing was really important to me and how it felt, how it was read. But yeah, it's a story about finding your place within music and how that can help you navigate space and give you agency and kind of save your life. Who did you imagine your audience would be when you started writing and and recording the story? So I tried to figure out who the demographic was for the show when I first was asked to write for the show. And I was basically told that it was everyone. There was all ages listening in, 
all, you know, locations in the country. It wasn't any specific type of person. Mm-hmm. It wasn't gendered. It was all over the place. So when I was writing this, aside from thinking of my younger self, because it's letters to my younger self, I was just thinking about girlhood in the early 2000s and what that feels like. I wasn't writing specifically for any type of person or any particular person. I just wanted to help people who are going through similar things. And I think a lot of the things that I talk about on the show are things that affect all of us and will eventually affect all of us at some point. And I think they're often the things that we don't talk about and kind of go unnoticed. And I think part of the reason why growing up during that time was so hard is because there were things we didn't talk about and there were things that were taboo. And I kind of just wanted to come out and talk about those things and make them kind of create a safe space for people to have the ability to talk about that. So you describe with what I think is remarkable hindsight for what is not really that long ago and remarkable self-awareness growing up with the internet in the 2000s and how that shaped your identity, the ways you socialized and your creativity. What do you think has changed by now about the internet for people even younger than you? Oh God, so much. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the internet used to be a thing that connected people and it was just very raw in its form. Um, It caused connections with people and now it kind of causes divides is something that I've noticed. You know, if you don't have a certain amount of followers, you're not cool enough or there's just almost a disconnection happening now where it used to just be you'd pull up an AIM chat box and you would just talk to text. You know, you wouldn't see their face. You wouldn't get this whole um, kind of parasocial dynamic with people of how we interpret images. I think now everything is about how we consume image Mm -hmm. and images. And instead of just trying to connect with somebody, we see an image and that's the image and we project onto that image. So none of it feels very authentic. And so especially with the show, I wanted to talk about a time within music and within social media where it was just raw. Like we were just ourselves mostly and how that kind of shaped our upbringing, the vulnerability that we had within each other and in this space on the internet. And while I do feel like vulnerability is making a comeback within these platforms, I think it's to kind of dismantle the damage that we've done from creating those divides. Okay. So I think it's changed a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I mean, I'm interested to know where we'll go. I'm very grateful for social media. I mean, during the pandemic, we were completely disconnected. So in some ways, it's it's very beautiful to uh, connect with others and even, you know, through the show. So it has its advantages. But I think, you know, like I say on the show, we need to remember those kind of early 2000s warnings that our parents would give us of like, we need to be safe on the internet and not just believe everything we see, not just believe everything we read. 
But overall, I mean, I think social media can be really beautiful if we're aware of the impact that it can have, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Were there certain aspects of your story that you really wanted to emphasize for listeners? And how did you approach those? I really wanted to talk about things that I was going through growing up that, you know, I felt so alone in the world and so alone in these experiences because nobody else was talking about them, but they're experiences that will affect every single person in the world, which is, you know, death and disability. We all were will experience those two things at some point. And so I think it's important to kind of be open and talk about those things. Um, maybe if people were more open about their experiences with those two things, maybe it would help somebody who's going through one of those two things. The last five minutes of the very last episode is emotionally very powerful and it made me cry. I, I, I listen to podcasts while I'm walking and I was on the sidewalk crying. <laughs> you have a very strong message related to speaking up, telling your own story. And as you just said, they're sharing experiences, not only for your own benefit, but maybe for the benefit of others. Who is that message for? Or maybe another way to put it is, if only one group or type of audience could hear that message, who would you want it to be? I mean, I think Dear Young Rocker is a show for everybody. And I think, you know, it's hard to pick one demographic, but I think anybody who loves music and feels connected through music, you know, that would speak to them. But again, I think anybody facing hardship or feeling loneliness should listen to the show. Could you tell us about some of the techniques or styles that you used to tell your story? And um, along with that, I guess I'll ask about your voice and if people <laughs> comment on your voice. Um, yes, the the voice of the show is a lot different, as you can tell. I hope I'm not a disappointment as a guest. <laughs> um, my natural speaking voice is a little bit different than my podcast voice. Okay. There was no specific voice that I wanted, but I wanted the speed to be at a certain tempo to have a certain type of feeling. Um, there was no, I've never, um, probably shouldn't admit this, I've never written anything before. So I was, they came to me and asked me to write this and I had, I always wanted to write a book, basically. And you know, I'd had ideas and drafts. And so this was an opportunity to kind of do everything I ever wanted to do, which was write. Growing up, I feel like music and books kind of saved me. And one of the books that I just adored growing up because of the writing was so beautiful was um, Jeffrey Jenny's Virgin Suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it's a very dark book, obviously, um, the writing is stunning. I mean, it's breathtaking. So when I thought about what I wanted the writing to feel like, and although it doesn't, you know, he's very detailed in his writing and a little 
wordy at times, so it doesn't translate to a podcast. But the feeling of how it felt going through girlhood is what I was trying to capture. And I felt like that book captured that. And I don't know if it's because I read that during my like my own girlhood um, when I was 12 and 13. That was my favorite book. But I wanted it to feel like early 2000s girlhood, which felt very lonely because we all were on the internet and it felt very isolated and kind of beautiful and kind of a little gray, but, you know, not grim. And I think I was just trying to capture what it felt like to be a girl in the early 2000s. So I would wake up and I would read that book until I kind of forgot why I was reading that book until I was like engaged in the book enough. Mm -hmm. And then I would stop what I was doing and I would start writing. And so that was kind of my workflow and ritual in writing this was waking up, reading, writing, and yeah, just trying to capture what it felt like to be a girl in the early 2000s. I don't think it's fair to say that you haven't written because you sound as though you have kept a diary or done a lot of journal writing. Is that true? I have. You caught me. <laughs> I have journaled. How did you get started with a diary or a journal? So I don't remember like a, a moment where somebody handed me a journal and was like, here, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> here you go. Write your feelings. Um, but the lucky thing about being a girl is that they start marketing journals to you when you're like four. <laughs> like, I think I got my first journal when I was four. That's really funny. And it was like a, like a Disney princess. Did it have a little lock on it? Like it had a lock. It had like it was puffy. It was like it was um the texture of it was like plastic and puffy and yes. very satisfying to like squeeze. And I would just write random things in there, like little poems and little, you know, from then on out. I think I got it at like a school, one of those book drives. Mm -hmm. Um and so you know, I would beg my mom because they were they were very cute or I think maybe somebody bought it for me because it was a theme. It was like cartoon themed. I don't think anyone thought like I'm going to give this kid this notebook with this cartoon on it and she's just going to keep one every year for the rest of her life. <laughs> um, but that's what I did. It wasn't something you learned in school or from a grandparent or anything like that? No, I don't think okay. anyone else in my life journaled or wrote okay. anything down you know for whatever reason kept one and it's it was crazy to go back and read you know six months here or there where I lose the journal but for the most part I had almost all of my journals from the time I was four until now and it was um quite the experience to go back and read those of like how I felt in those moments, how I felt at each age and write also based off of mm -hmm. those journals and what was happening around me. Yeah, it was, it was quite the experience. Um, I found one diary that was written in gel pen and 
It was like, dear diary, have I told you about September 11th? And I was like, what? <laughs> like I'm writing in my diary about current events and the world around me and, you know, boys who are being mean or, you know, life-changing events. And it's just incredible to see, you know, the world again through your eyes as a kid, um, how you're digesting the world around you. And so it was really beautiful to go back and read all of those things. I mean, you think that you remember everything. And the truth is, is just you, you can't. Um, I think it was 18 journals or something that I read through. There was certain moments where it was like, oh, yeah, that happened. And yeah, I'm so grateful that, you know, people market to kids and they have journals. <laughs> That's a very funny observation about the marketing of journals <laughs> to young girls and the padding yeah. of them as though it's mm -hmm. so... The lock and key. Yeah, everything needs to be protected with protected. You know, padding space. and lock and key. And that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a perfect merch idea for Dear Young Rocker season four. Mm, that's brilliant. Yeah. We should be marketing <laughs> journals with keys. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell them no more t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you encourage others to keep a diary or maybe something that someone might consider more of a scrapbook. And I, I think you say that a couple of times in your story. Mm -hmm. Why? Oh, so one of the things that I had forgot that I had done uh, in going back through these journals is I would hand it to people and just say, here, write me a message mm -hmm. and I'll read it later. And, um, or I would, you know, tape flowers and tickets and pictures and yeah, again, create like a scrapbook. And when I went through it, I mean, there was notes from people's parents and <laughs> teachers and best friends and, you know, the girl who sat in front of me in math class and, you know, I shared my journal with one of my boyfriends. So there was all these letters between us and it's just all in one place. You know, it's like a yearbook, except it's better than a yearbook. It's like pieces of your life. Definitely 10 out of 10 encourage everyone to do that. And it's something I'm going to try and even continue doing because it's really beautiful to have all of your moments kind of written down and have it all in one place. For those listeners who have not listened yet, you suffered a bout of amnesia. And how instrumental were those journal entries in recovering from your amnesia? So I think the thing that got me through amnesia, because I didn't have access to all these journals until recently, um, I think the thing that really got me through it was um, music. Mm -hmm. which helped re rehabilitate my brain, which is kind of what this whole thing was about. Mm -hmm. And then um, pictures. So anything that had a picture with it, I could remember the moments around that picture. And so I started to piece together with pictures and text. And I started journaling because I couldn't really write, but I did start journaling online because I could type. And so I would sometimes type when I could, and then I would also journal through Instagram. So gather around, 
young people. <laughs> you know, before Instagram was a way to promote, you know, your music or your job or, you know, a curated image, it was kind of a diary. And so I used Instagram during that time to kind of keep track of what was going on. And then I used it to kind of like go backwards mm -hmm. and see where I had been. And eventually, you know, everything clicked clicked back into place. But I think keeping a diary during that time definitely helped me. And even with piecing together now the order in which things happened, I definitely like went back and, you know, looked at the pictures. And it was like a quick way of documenting my time without having to uh, use the energy to write about it. So I think pictures can be just as powerful and important as writing. With something that you discovered in the course of writing or recording for the show that really took you by surprise? Um, all of it. <laughs> uh, I had never done anything like this in my life, and I was so excited to get the opportunity to just learn so much. Mm -hmm. One thing I definitely did not consider was reading out loud can be very difficult if that's not something you do mm -hmm. often. So I had a great team helping me edit some of the uh, recorded audio. Um, that was just one thing I didn't uh, really consider because it's not something I've done since high school. Like when, you know, I give speeches and I memorize everything, but you can't memorize 30 pages of text. So right. that was something that I was a little surprised that you have to kind of keep a steady flow and read out loud. And it has to be, you know, flow, like flowing, mm -hmm. just how to think about how you're saying and speaking so that it's um, even and also getting the tone that you want for the show, kind of overthinking all of these little details and then you're reading out loud and then, Yeah. I think you succeeded pretty well in that even tone. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think there is a part, um, and I, I maybe I shouldn't admit to this, but sometimes I will experiment with, you know, putting people on, you know, 1.25 or one and a half speed to see how their voice changes when oh. when you're listening. It, and, you know, sometimes it's just you don't have time to listen, um, yeah. so you want to fit it all in. But um, I, I much preferred your natural voice. But there is a point in the story where I think you're talking about doing all the things you ever wanted to do at some point. And I think at that point, um, you can sort of feel a little bit of a different energy in your voice, which I thought was really nice. So, Oh, great. Was that episode, like, 11? So I recorded 11 um, with COVID <laughs> and it was the day before I had to go to the hospital and I, oh dear. I just, I, um, yeah, I hope that it, it worked. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, works on both speeds. Not yeah, I'm, I'm glad it works on both speeds. Um, thank you so much for saying that because I definitely put so much thought into how it was being read so that it would create like a certain type of feeling and atmosphere for the listener. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that that 
spoke to you and you liked it. Thank you. Yeah. And well, I told you before we started talking that your voice, when I first heard it, reminded me of Miranda July. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is a compliment. So thank you. If there are any Miranda July fans out there, you'll want to check this out. So, um, if your story was not part of the Dear Young Rocker series, what title would you have given it? I'm going to have to be a little basic and say weekday weekend. Okay. Because I think it really defines who I am and also what happened mm -hmm. and what I've been through. But also I think it kind of um, impacts and defines all of us and the things that we go through um, for good or for bad. Okay. Fair enough. And you closed your story with a really strong statement about believing women. Um, and as we've discussed, a lot of the issues through the whole story in the series are really for anyone to listen to, benefit, or relate to. Um, creativity, isolation, loneliness, grief, friends, family. But as a woman, um, you've shared some of your sexist experiences in the podcast. And I've got a couple of questions here for you. I mean, what would you say is the most important issue related to social justice for women right now? Well, I do live in the Southern United States. Mm -hmm. And so abortion laws have been, you know, at the forefront of everyone's mind and how it's going to affect women. Um, I think another thing that should be talked about more is that if you're disabled and you're receiving any sort of help, you're not allowed to have children. So the inability to have children as a disabled person in the United States without um, losing your health care. Okay. And is there something you think that men should do to contribute to changing the dynamic that they have with women in society? Yeah, I think as women, we have to spend so much time decoding our environment so that we're safe and that we understand how to navigate through it. And I think if we can do all of that um, to kind of untangle the mess that's being caused within the sexism within different systems, I think men can easily do that. So I think it's important for men if they want to be an ally to stop performative allyship and really decode their actions, their words, and how they take up space and allowing others to also have space. You think it's easy for them to learn that. <laughs> it's possible for someone to learn, um, of course, because women learn it. But um, Exactly. We learn yeah. it. And, um, you know, you can't cross your legs. It's not, <laughs> it's really not that hard. It's a thing that people can do. So, um, you know, lots of physical and metaphorical ways in which they can think about space and how they're navigating Body image didn't seem to feature prominently in your story, yet it's, a, of course, a classic issue for 
teenage girls and women. And also a big issue in the the music industry. Was there a reason for not dealing with it or or maybe um, just not focusing heavily on it in, in your story or in the podcast? I think because it's so, there's a couple of reasons. I didn't want to re-traumatize anybody listening to the story. Um, I wanted to insinuate it because at that age, you don't always know, right? Like it's not 100%. It, it can happen in really subtle ways. So I wanted to talk about it in, in more subtle ways rather imply it than be forward and trigger somebody but also um yeah at that age sometimes you don't know I definitely imply it with talking about you know drinking a can of diet coke for lunch and how that was kind of what all girls did in in eighth grade that's what we ate for lunch Mm -hmm. and also um you learn that from your mom I'm saying that's where I learned that. That was the next thing I was going to say is I I wanted to kind of create a space that talked about these issues without coming forward and saying them because as a kid, you don't really know that. Um, You know, I talked about some of the abuse and some of the, um, you know, ways in which my family had OCD that then affected me. So it's kind of more about how one thing can lead to another thing can lead to another thing. But you don't really know that when you're 13. Right. You don't really know why you have control issues or disordered eating. You just know that you're doing it. So I wanted to kind of more insinuate it than just come out and say it. And yeah, I didn't want to re-traumatize anybody going through that or... You know, because I think in some ways, um, you know, I'll, t- I'll talk to even guys that I know and they'll kind of be like, oh, yeah, well, I'm vegan and I'm, you know, doing this diet and I'm doing this diet. And, you know, even as adults, it's like they don't know. And so I, I was more interested in kind of the ways in which we justify it and how our environment can impact how we feel about food mm-hmm. versus just coming out and talking Right. Kind of more forward about it. Okay. Interesting. Is there something that you learned while doing this project that you really want to do again or more of? All of it. Okay. <laughs> um, I loved getting the opportunity to write something and create kind of a safe space for people. I loved getting to score the podcast and use some old music from my past and growing up. Yeah, it was just a huge opportunity. I loved creating the the episodes and thinking about what I wanted the feeling to be like and how to execute that and writing, you know, different stories and editing them down and finding how the outline and story is going to flow and move and all the moving pieces to making a story. I just any part of it. I I loved every single second of it. Are you writing or recording music right now? I just got done releasing an album, so I'm working on another one. Okay. The album is called Seven. So for people who have listened, Weekday Weekend is the album about season four of Dear Young Rocker. 
And so I just got making, I just got done making seven, which is about the last seven years of my life. Okay. So, um, yeah, I just got done making this record seven. (laughs) Okay. And where can people find it? It's on Bandcamp and all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple. And what are you listening to for music lately? Or any shows you've been to? Um, So, honestly, Dear Young Rocker really (laughs) brought out the nostalgia in me. Okay. And I've been re-listening to um, all the music I listened to growing up. Because obviously I've been Mm -hmm. writing and thinking about that for a while. And I thought it would kind of calm down once the show was done with. But I feel like it ramped back up. So I've been on a huge nostalgia kick of listening to anything from John Fahey to Towns Van Zandt to Azure to Mira to K Records and Elephant Six and Saddle Creek and just all that music from the early 2000s and even before. Good. And what's coming up next for you? Is there anything you want to tell Metapod listeners about that you're working on? So we're working on the outline and episodes for season five right now. Okay. And then I will be releasing more music in the next few months. So very excited to be releasing new tracks. Okay, great. And that padded journal series that you're going to put out. Yes. Very excited about the new merch. (laughs) Keep all your secrets in one place. Well, thank you so much, Nadia Marie. This has been really terrific to talk to you a little more about Dear Young Rocker Season 4. And um, I wish you continued success with your music and writing and and hopefully more podcasting. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on your show and listening in. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations to Nadia Marie for her accomplishments of writing and recording season four of Dear Young Rocker. I really appreciate the time she set aside for this. Uh, We were both trying to recover from illnesses and did get a bit delayed. Thank you too for your patience. We didn't include many spoilers in our conversation, so if you haven't listened to season four of Dear Young Rocker, this might have been a little difficult to connect with, but that's why you should now go and listen to Nadia Marie's story. Just make sure to have tissues for episode 12. You can find Nadia Marie online at nadiamarieforever.com and on Instagram at nadiamarieforever. And of course, listen to her music, including the tune Weekday Weekend on Bandcamp. Just look for the artist profile that says songs about having amnesia, getting hit by cars, and breaking your heart. For anyone who wants more info or their heartbroken, I'm at your service, providing links in the show notes at metapodshow.com. And hey, while you're over at Bandcamp, Metapod guest Ryan Anderson has some new music out. That's a project called Dresden Codex. If you're a fan of the 90s space rock genre, check that out. We talked to Ryan in episode 12 of Metapod about his excellent podcast, Sonic Excursions, plus indie record labels, 90s college radio, and music more broadly. Congratulations to Erica Heilman of Rumble Strip, 
Avery Truffleman of Articles of Interest and Brian Resnick of Unexplainable for making Best of 2022 podcast lists. If you're interested to hear the stories behind their shows, you'll find them on episodes of Metapod. That's all, people. Thank you for listening. See you. That's all for this episode of Metapod. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at The Metapod Show and subscribe at any of the usual places you find your other favourite podcasts. You can follow Metapod on Instagram at metapodshow or visit our website metapodshow.com. Aside from the theme tune, this episode of Metapod was made end-to-end by me, Wendy Morrill. Metapod intro and outro voiceovers by Zoe.